with Jennifer Shaw. Brought to you by Pets West in Broadmead Village on CFAX 1070. Good afternoon to everyone, and thank you for tuning into the CFAX Pet Line on this Sunday afternoon. I'm your host, Jennifer Shaw, and uh, for the first half of the show today, we are going to talk all about cats and their kitty litter and all about their bathroom habits, as we might call it. Um, Joining me on the phone lines today is Lisa Nitkin from Pets West in the Broadmead Village to talk all about this topic that is a big topic for cat owners. Good afternoon, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, good afternoon. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, why is it that kitty litter is, is such a big topic? Why are cats so fussy about where exactly they go to the bathroom and exactly what it's in? Well, I think we should clarify that because their cats are fussy about everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's not just the litter, it's the food, it's where we're going to sleep today. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, cats are just very particular, and I think that's what we love about them, is their independent frame of mind, and what works today just doesn't work tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, But as far as cat litter goes, they also get very focused on texture. Uh, so the biggest thing about cat litter is with texture and odor. And uh, some cats, just there's certain odors that they don't like or certain textures that they don't like the feel of on their paws, especially if they're not accustomed to it. Now, uh, I do know that, you know, I have heard in, in the past and from, uh, from, from years about talking about cats, I do know that cats can be very particular about change. Yeah. Um, what about... Uh, do they do they ever sometimes want change though like do you ever find that you find a kitty litter for your cat for the first four years of their life and all of a sudden you have to change kitty litter or is it sort of once you find a particular type that they stick with it for life Uh, it would be the latter so whereas they like change on their food for instance i don't like my food today i do like it tomorrow in terms of the kitty litter once you find something that works for them, they don't want it changed. Okay. Uh, they they want that. Um, it's all about environment. So they like their environment to stay the same. And that is a big part of their environment. So they want that to stay the same. It's often the same thing with getting a new cat post. They want their old, ragged, awful cat <laughs> post, even when there's nothing left, because they don't want things to change in their environment. Um, Having said that, sometimes the kitty litter has to change. Either, you know, a brand has been discontinued or something doesn't work in your house anymore. So if we make changes with the kitty litter, we actually make it very gradually. And if you do not do things quite right with their kitty litter, you can have a cat that's having accidents around the house. Am I right? Yes, and sometimes we take it as, um, you know, we take it personally. We take it as some kind of a deliberate punishment against us. And ultimately, who can get inside the head of a cat? We don't know for sure, but usually it's more um, a case of they'll have accidents around the house. It seems personally directed because it might be on the bed or on our clothing or something (laughs) like that. But it's more likely about scent. They're going for a familiar, close scent. And that's why, you know, these are areas that have a lot of odor to them. And that's why they're going to those spots. Uh, But yes, best to make it gradually and also best not to change the area where the litter box is if you can avoid it. So always keeping it in the consistent area. Uh, and if we do a renovation to the house or something, we might have to be ready for the cat not to be happy about where their litter box has changed to. Now, um, when you, let, I guess let's start with the very basics, the, the kitty litter box itself. Generally, they seem pretty basic, but I know <laughs> from coming into Pets West, there's quite a selection of, um, of very involved kitty litter boxes, too. So, you know, what's, what is best to start with? Is it just the basic, you know, uh, kitty litter box or is it one of the, you know, fancy ones? Is it a covered one? What, how do you know what box is right to start, if you, especially if you're just starting out with a new cat or kitten? Well, let's start with the kitten. If we're going for a young kitten, then best to do uncovered and a fairly low profile so that they can get in and out of the litter box easily. They're not struggling with it. Um, 
and they don't have that lid on top to also be another distraction. So best to start with an open litter box. And then as they get older, they're accustomed to their litter box. They're using it really well and consistently. Then you might want to go for larger, especially as they're growing, they're going to need a larger litter box, and you might want to go enclosed. Uh, in the long term, cats actually do like a bit of privacy. They don't want to feel exposed to basically to predators. Mm -hmm. That that would be the mindset for them. So they actually do prefer an enclosed litter box. Um, but you want to introduce that gradually. So if you start with a small litter box when they're a kitten, and then if you end up going to one of the bigger enclosed ones, we also suggest leave the lid off for the first few days, let them just get used to the new litter box. And when they're using that consistently and they're happy about that, then go ahead and put the lid on. And generally, they will accept that just fine. Now, there's also ones with a flap to the door because some of us just don't like the odors that come out of there. And the flap, that's just for the person. That's not for the cat. Okay, <laughs> so okay. The flap is only for us. If um, someone decides to go for the one with the flap on it, I would suggest leaving the flap off in the beginning, uh, just putting on the covered litter box, and then when they're using that consistently, then go ahead and put the flap on. Okay. So taking everything really one step at a time. Now, what about these self-sweeping litter boxes? <laughs> taking it a total step further. Um, again, that would be just fine. I wouldn't use the motorized uh, part of it, though, for the first week or two. So again, put it in the consistent place. If this is something new, if you have a cat that's already existing in your house and you've had a different style litter box, you've decided to change to the self-scooping or the self-cleaning, then you want to put that in the same place, same type of litter, but don't turn on the motor in the beginning. Okay. Once they're using it consistently, then go ahead and plug it in. Even though all these litter boxes, they are actually designed to not even scoop till at least 10 minutes after the cat has stepped out of the litter box. So it does have a motion sensor on it, and it should definitely not go off, and there shouldn't be any noise or anything while the cat is using it. But just to be on the safe side, just in case the cat steps away and comes back, you don't want to imprint on them that it makes a scary sound until they're um, comfortable with it. Okay, and probably also knowing your cat. If you have a real spooky cat, yeah. um, probably that's not a litter box that is ever going to be the best idea for you, for your cat. Possibly not. Okay. Possibly not. But, you know, if if you really are unable to clean or have difficulties cleaning, if you have a willing cat, there are, if you want to get away from the litter box totally, there are methods that you can actually teach them to go on the toilet if you want. <laughs> There's always something. There's well, always we, something. Are, <laughs> we are going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we are going to continue to talk to Lisa Nitkin from Pets West in the Broadmead Village all about kitty litter. Right, We'll be right back on the CFAX Pet Line right after this. Looking for the best deals on floor coverings right now? For the month of September, United Floors is featuring Krauss, one of the world's leading flooring manufacturers, with very special pricing on hardwood, carpet, laminate, and luxury vinyl. Plus, earn Air Miles Reward Miles with every purchase. See store for details. Great prices and Air Miles right now at United Floors. Ram 1500, the world-famous Hemi engine with real power and real-world efficiency. Or the EcoDiesel, with serious power from the most fuel-efficient full-size pickup ever. Power and efficiency in the same truck. Now there's a concept. Right now, get a Ram 1500 with total discounts up to 12000 Guts. Glory. Ram. This is Gordon. Schizophrenia was probably, I was predisposed to it. And it wasn't really until I got here and talked to a psychiatrist that I understood what it was that was happening with me. Our place should be supported because it's a place where people can find their feet again. For those of people who can't find their feet, they're accepted anyway. Gordon learned that he could make a difference because of Our Place Society. Donate today and transform a life at OurPlaceSociety.com. Proudly supported by Two Burly Men Moving. Catch up with what you've missed with our podcast at CFAX1070.com. If it's happening, it's here. CFAX 1070.
We are back on the CFAX Pet Line. My guest today is Lisa Nitkin from Pets West in the Broadmead Village. And today we are talking all about our cats' bathroom habits, where they like to go, why it is that they like to go where they do, and what type of kitty litter to buy. This is a big topic for a lot of cat owners. And it's something, Lisa, that I think a lot of us dog owners don't quite get the obsession with kitty litter. But I'm sure you spend a lot of your day talking about this. Oh, yes, because people want to come, you know, ask questions about what's the best litter. And uh, that can be very difficult to answer because it's what's best for your cat. And every cat is a little bit different in terms of what they like. Um, but we do always try to steer people towards the natural litters uh, in terms of what's good for the environment and also what's good for the cat. We do try to steer towards the natural litters. And they're even within that category, there's a tremendous selection. So what's going to work for your cat, what's going to work for your lifestyle, and of course, what's going to work for your budget, because there's all sorts of price ranges. Okay, give us some examples of natural uh, litters. So natural litters are generally made out of some kind of grain. Um, It can be uh, walnut shells, it can be ground up corn, ground up wheat, um, grass seeds. There's a number of different types, but it's generally some type of seed, uh, with the exception of the walnut shell. Hmm. And this is something, like a lot of these, like the the grass seeds and the wheat, that's not really our typical classic kitty litter, is it? That is that just something that's been coming up in, in uh, recent decades? I, it, definitely the last 10 years, there's been a big move towards the natural litters. We want to try to get away from the clays if we can. Um, they are difficult to break down. They take a long time to break down in the environment and in the landfills. They're quite sticky. Um, so that's why there is a big move on towards the natural litters. Now, when... A, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, it also things like wood pellets. I, I did forget to mention that. So that also can break down. And those are like the pine pellets. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, okay. it's a compressed pine pellet. And that breaks down certainly a lot quicker than the clay. Now, with these natural litters, let's talk about the topic of eating them. <laughs> <laughs> we recently spoke about this on Petline and, uh, you know, with a question to a veterinarian, uh, which was... Um, it was actually a puppy that was getting into uh, the cat litter box and chewing on some of the pine pellet uh, mm. pieces and, and sticks. And the veterinarian said, oh, it's not a, you know, a, a worry in a very small quantity. Do you ever run into trouble with, uh, do- with cats or dogs? Um, because also some people use uh, these litters for, for dogs on occasion, um, eating the, the product. Yes. Yes, so I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, that's another reason for having a covered litter box. At least it's a bit of a deterrent to the dogs. We don't really see a problem with the cats eating it. Uh, that just doesn't seem to be of interest to them. But <laughs> the dogs, yes. Uh, first of all, they like what the cats leave behind, which we all find rather disgusting. Yes. <laughs> um, and then some of them do like the actual grain-based litter, uh, the, and especially things like the grass seed and so on. For whatever reason, they seem to be attracted to that. So again, that's another thing of, okay, what's going to work in your household? Do you have a dog that's very motivated to get into that litter box? Um, then you're going to have to find a material that they are not interested in chewing on. Mm. Because really, any of these, I mean, even though we think, well, corn, I mean, what's the harm in dog eating a bunch of corn. We know it's not the best for them, but what's the harm in it? It's it's really, other than, you know, the occasional piece just to be a silly puppy, uh, really isn't a good idea for them. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Because some of them will grab it by the mouthful and just try to eat it by the mouthful. And a lot of these litters, they're trying to um, create so that it also clumps up because we prefer the clumping for cats. You don't want that clumping up in their gut. Uh, so you definitely want to keep the dog away from it. It's, it's not good for them. They can eat too much and, and it can cause all sorts of intestinal issues. So keep your dogs away from it. Ideally, you want to put the litter box somewhere where the dog's not going to go there at all because, as I say, you don't even want them picking out what is deposited in the litter yes. box. Yes. But if, they, if you can't put it in a place where the dog's going to stay away from it, if you can't keep the dog away from it, then you'd have to pick a material that they're just not going to ingest. 
Okay, okay. Ben, I'm sure there's a lot of cat owners at home chuckling because, of course, it's the dogs that would do that. Cats are, are far more intelligent than to, to do anything so silly. <laughs> Absolutely. And if, you just, or if you're really struggling finding a, a litter that the dog stays out of, then that's when we would go back to looking at something that's clay-based or silica-based or even the paper pellets. Usually the dogs won't chew on the paper pellets. Okay. Um, now, you did uh, mention clumping litter, and I know that we're going to get into that in our, in our um, next segment here, but are, is there any such thing as a natural clumping litter? Or when you're talking about, you know, dogs could get into real trouble by eating clumping litter, is that when you're getting into the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the clay-based litters? The clay-based litters clump uh, better usually, but most of the natural litters now also clump. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, is that something that they do to it to make it clump, or does it just naturally tend to do that? I, you know what, I don't know the science behind it, but most of the grain ones we do find clump up uh, fairly well. They, as say, the, the clumps break apart more than they do in the clay litters. They don't clump as hard, but they do still clump up. The ones that won't clump up in the natural litters will be things like the pine pellets and the okay. paper pellets. And um, as far as odor, odor is always a concern when we're talking about litter boxes. With these natural litters, uh, is there the odor control? I mean, I understand, especially the pine pellets, those tend to not smell too bad at all. Uh, yes, and odor control is a relative thing. So it, basically odor control, the, the best way to control odors is scoop your litter box regularly. So none of it is going to be controlled if we're leaving a lot of litter in there. Every litter box should be scooped minimum daily. If you have the time, twice daily is even better, but at least daily and get right down to the bottom and scoop it properly. And that's the best way for odor control. Um, odor is cor- carried through the moisture. So most of these litters help to wick away some of the moisture, and then some of them will also either be scented or have uh, a baking soda element added to them to help absorb the odor. So again, it depends on how sensitive you are to the odors. Some people don't like the scented litters. They actually find that added odor too strong, and they prefer just the natural odor of the litter and the um, and to scoop it properly and okay. regularly. Uh, and some people much prefer the scented ones and like to hide the odor a little bit. Okay. Well, we are going to take another quick commercial break, but when we come back, we are going to talk about the more classic litters. We're going to talk about um, the... Uh, the typical clay-based litter. We're going to talk about the silica litters. We're going to talk about all of those and more as we come back on the CFAX Pet Line right after this. Who did you and Mike call to get your roof redone? Well, we called Aerial Roofing, but it turns out we didn't need to. They gave us a free estimate and said our roof has about five years left. Really? They're honest. They'll only redo your roof if it needs to be redone. Wow. Are you sure your roof needs to be replaced? Actually, no. I better find out. I'm Tom Williams, owner of Aerial Roofing. We're honest about roofing. For a free estimate, get in touch at aerialroofing.ca. Hi, I'm Mark Sup, resident manager of West Shore Lodge, an active home for independent seniors in the community of Colwood. Support staff at West Shore are devoted to understanding and respecting each of our residents' personal needs and enriching their quality of life. We believe in building long, lasting bonds with seniors and their families. West Shore Lodge, where compassion, dedication, and trust come together. Part of Trillium Communities, visit trilliumcommunities.com. Most warranties feel like this, but Mitsubishi's 10-year powertrain limited warranty is more like this. In that time, all your breakups could sound like this. (laughs) All your selfies could sound like this. The toes you'll stub will sound like this. And the only other warranty that compares is this. Get to know Mitsubishi's unrivaled 10-year powertrain limited warranty and see what 10 years could mean to you. Mitsubishi. Built better. Back better. We are back on the CFAX Pet Line. My guest is Lisa Nitkin from Pets West in the Broadmead Village. And today we're talking all about kitty litter types and products associated with kitty litter. It's a big business there. And uh, Lisa talks about this a whole lot during her day. So today we're here to talk to her about uh, what is the best kitty litter to choose for your cat. Now, and dog, as I mentioned, Lisa, a lot of people um, with small breeds are starting to get into uh, kitty litter boxes. Yes, there's actually boxes made specifically for the dogs that tend to be larger. 
And uh, this would be for like apartments, if you're living in a high-up condo or even people on boats. But we tend to see people with dogs, they tend to use either the grass pads, it's like an artificial turf, or pee pads as opposed to actual kitty litter. Okay. Um, that one hasn't been as popular for the dogs to actually use the litter. Now, I know when the when the newspaper, um, would you call newspaper pellets? Yes. When those came out, I know that they were really trying to market those towards um, uh, puppy owners. Is uh, These days, is the uh, are the paper pellets, are those being used by dogs very much, or are cat owners uh, quite enjoying that product? The cat owners still buy, yes, the, the paper pellets are definitely popular for the cats. Again, we don't see much use for the dogs. We see occasionally somebody might pick it up for dogs, um, as I say, if they're in a condo or something. Okay. But um, no, not so much for the dogs. Okay. Uh, definitely a popular thing for the cats, though. Okay, so we've talked about the, the natural litters. Let's talk about the more uh, typical litters and the advancements that have come in uh, in, in litters. When we talk about clumping litters. I know you said a lot of the natural litters just tend to clump naturally. Um, what about these ones that are specifically made to clump? Well, those would be the, the clay-based ones. And they. I, I suppose it's a, a bit of a misnomer to even say natural. Ultimately, everything comes from the earth at some point, but these are more manufactured. They just don't break down as well. and uh, But they are very effective at clumping. So some people, they, there's still a lot of... Um, people that go still to the clay-based litters, the clumping litters, they're also much less expensive. Um, they're just mass-produced more, uh, and it's a less expensive material to produce. Mm-hmm. So they, it does keep the cost down. And what about dust with some of these uh, clay, clay-based litters? Well, to some degree, you get what you pay for. Okay. So the, I do find that the less expensive ones can be quite dusty, uh, and that's another reason that we try to move more towards the grain-based ones. They're just less dusty, which is both better for your own respiratory system and also for the cat being inside the litter box, and especially a covered litter box. You don't want them breathing in that dust all the time. Uh, but the pricier clay-based litters, and especially the silica litters, you, you have no dust with the silica litters, and the pricier clay-based litters, they just seem to be manufactured better, and we see a lot less dust with them. And now, what are the most expensive litters? Is it the silica litters that are the most expensive? Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot with that, but I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, like because as you said, you know, you can kind of get what you pay for. So is it something that when you go with a more expensive litter, you're having to change it a little bit less or is it, uh, you know, or is it just something that, uh, you know, if you have a more expensive litter, you're going to be spending more in general on on kitty litter? On the grain-based, higher-priced litters, yeah, you will probably be changing it a bit less. And again, it's more about odor control and dust control. So mm-hmm. the, the higher-priced ones also have, they're almost dust-free. Um, and they, they they definitely don't have to be changed as often. Okay. Um, the less expensive one on the, the grain-based ones, yeah, I find that they just get dirtier, smellier, that much more frequently, you have to change them more frequently. Okay. Volume-wise, um, if you actually go by weight, the silica might be a bit more expensive. Um, but, well, and the problem with silica, too, is you do have to change it a little bit more often, but it absorbs moisture really well. Okay. But those ones, I like to see the whole litter box changed every week to two weeks. Whereas the grain-based ones, you can leave the litter in there for quite a while and you're just scooping out the clumps. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, lots of information, lots to think about. And um, I know that if people, uh, if there's any of our listeners out there are thinking about getting a new new cat, a new kitten, uh, it's always a great idea to come in and chat with you guys at Pets West and really find out what is going to be best for that new cat or kitten because as you said it really does make a big difference where the cat came from how old the cat is and if you know much about their history yeah and what they've been started on exactly very good now how can people get in touch with you at Pets West uh, we are, they can phone us. Um, best to talk on the phone is 250-744-1779. We can answer questions directly that way. Uh, and there's also uh, through the website, petswest.ca. Perfect. And of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter and all those other things. <laughs> petswest.ca. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to talk to you. And we'll be back with more of the CFAX Pet Line right after this. 
When your kids go back to school, they go to a place of fun, friends, and learning. They also go to a germ factory. Digestion issues will flare up. So protect your kids and yourself with Ultimate Flora Probiotics from Renew Life. A diverse selection of probiotic solutions for the whole family, helping to support a healthy gut and a happy school year for everyone. Ultimate Flora Probiotics from Renew Life, available at Lifestyle Markets on Douglas Street in Cook Street Village and on 5th Street in Sydney. Hey, fellas, are you hungry? Well, you're in luck. Right now, Natural Balance Pet Foods are on sale at Pets West. Get $5 off select varieties of dog food and save on all Natural Balance cat pouches, only 99 cents each. I thought you'd like that. Natural Balance food is made with premium quality ingredients to keep your pets happy and healthy, and it's available at Pets West in Broadmead Village, committed to your pet and the community since 1989. Don't miss the Campus Acura clear-out with huge savings for September. Everything must go. Join them today at 3347 Oak Street. If it's happening, it's here. CFAX 1070. Good afternoon, I'm Kyle Reynolds with CFAX 1070 News. Hundreds of people gathered in a Vancouver plaza this morning to catch a glimpse of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. A bit of light drizzle didn't phase the well-wishers as they cheered and waved Canadian and British flags as the royal couple's float plane landed in the Vancouver Harbour. This woman says she waited for hours just to get a glimpse of Prince William and Kate. Younger and gorgeous and tanned and slim, I need to get on a diet. <laughs> and very royal, very humble, really look lovely, beautiful. It was worth the wake up early, right? It was worth it all. Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson and Premier Christy Clark were among those on hand to welcome the royal couple to Vancouver today. They're uh, scheduled to fly back to Victoria this evening. Unionized work. Workers at General Motors are voting on a new contract today. Unifor is holding votes in Oshawa, St. Catharines and Woodstock, Ontario, with results expected tonight. The new agreement worked out between Unifor and GM includes wage increases and a promise from the company to invest in its Canadian operations. And Egypt is tightening up its border security after dozens of migrants died when their Europe-bound boat sank in the Mediterranean. The boat went down on Wednesday just off the Egyptian coastal town of Rosetta. At least 162 bodies were later recovered. Another 160 migrants were rescued. That's CFAX News. It's 12.33. The spacious Toyota Camry is practically luxurious. This is my first Camry and I chose it because there's tons of room on the inside. It's loaded with features and the outside looks amazing. It looks like a luxury sedan. Lease a 2016 Toyota Camry from $68 weekly for 60 months. Or get up to $2,500 incentive for cash customers. Now during the clear-out event. Visit GetYourToyota.ca for full details. I'm Ricky C. And this ad is owner approved. Taking a quick look at CFAX weather now. Mostly cloud today it's 18 degrees downtown that is the expected high for the day clear skies tonight low down to about 10. I'm Kyle Reynolds if it's happening it's here on CFAX 1070 it's just about 12:34. the following is a recording from an earlier broadcast now headline with Jennifer Shaw brought to you by Pets West in Broadmead Village on CFAX 1070. We are back on the CFAX Pet Line, and now I'm joined on the phone lines by clinical animal behaviorist Karen Wild. She is the author of Being a Dog, The World from Your Dog's Point of View. Good afternoon, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, hello, everyone. Hi. Well, it's so great to have you on the show. I love, uh, I love this new book of yours. Um, when you say that the world... From your dog's point of view, you really are quite serious because you've actually written this from the dog's point of view, correct? That's right. That's right. It's so important that owners, um, you know, really get into the minds of their dog. And what better way than to talk from the dog's perspective? But obviously it would be a dog with a great vocabulary and big understanding of words. It's not just all woofs and yaps and barks in the book. It's a lot of science that we know now about dogs and from there angle and it really helps us to understand them. 
Well, it is, it, it, and it, it is written in such a friendly way. You know, it really is very, uh, very reader-friendly and a lot of uh, really neat uh, information to pick up from this book. Now, um, one of my favorite chapters is the How You See and Smell the World. And again, this is written from the dog's perspective. So when we say how you see and smell the world, we're talking about how the dog sees and smells the world. Um, tell us a bit um, about this chapter, because I think there's a lot of uh, myths out there about how dogs uh, see the world. Uh, one of the ones that come into mind uh, right away is that people think that uh, dogs are colorblind. Tell us about this. That's right. Well, in a way, they are colorblind in the sense that someone who might be red, green, colorblind as a human, you know, there's certain colors that they don't um, see. Um, but it isn't that dogs see in black and white, which is what people used to say. They do see color. But I think the big thing that we know is that their sense of smell overrides almost everything. And we are very sight-oriented creatures as humans. So, of course, we might wonder why it is that dog can't see something that we can see. But their eyes work slightly differently to ours. And what they're more likely to use is their noses to sort of hunt things out. So, you know, when you've drop something on the floor for the dog and the dog's kind of trying to see it and it looks like they can't see it and everyone's really surprised. Well, that's because they're using their nose rather than their eyes to really locate where it is and scent travels around. So, it's you know, it's a great way of thinking about things when you're trying to understand what they do. Now, you also talk about how they see and that they uh, see movement um, uh, much more than something, you know, sitting still. You know, you, you use the example of if a, uh, a dog might not see the ball that's right in front of him, but when you throw the ball, boy, does he see that and he sees the squirrel sure. that's a mile away and everything. Yeah, yeah and, and the, you know, we have bred dogs to do this. Uh, certain types of dog and certain breeds of dog are really good at it. So your obvious ones might be your sight hands, your gray hands with pits, um, the kind of hunting dogs, that they have a particular construction in their eye. So um, what happens is engages that movement streak in the back of their eye so they can actually see movement very easily, whereas we may not pick up on it in the same way. And they can see things moving at a distance, which, if you think about it, that's what some prey is going to do. So they're perhaps chasing a bunny rabbit or something like that, and it's hopping away very quickly. And, of course, that will activate the dog's sight to spot it and that's one of the reasons that rabbits have decided to freeze and not move when they don't want to get discovered but short-nosed dogs like pugs and other breeds like that don't have that same construction in their eye and we think that's because people have deliberately bred them to focus on our faces so the movement activation in their eye isn't quite the same so it's really interesting to see you know what they're bred for and why they do what they do isn't that interesting? Now, it also, when I read um, this, it, it also made me think about how we can use some of this information. Because a lot of people, you know, they read um, or they hear about this book and they say, okay, yeah, that's all very interesting facts. But it is really um, uh, great to think about how this can help you in your everyday life with your dog. Um, I guess I'm thinking of things like hand signals with, with obedience training and those sorts of things. Um, and if you're very, very still um, with a hand signal, that's not going to be quite as effective as a big movement. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Dogs are very into our body language. And one of the things we don't realize is how much they're watching us all the time. We focus on what we've said to them, but they do recognize signals like that, but perhaps not quite as powerfully as they spot our body movement. So it's important, I mean, I teach classes of owners and dogs and I work in behavior, so I work with dogs with, you know, some serious problems and we have to work out what to do about these problems and sometimes it is that, you know, their sight isn't being activated enough so the owner's really just standing still and not being very animated or they're repeating themselves verbally but they're not moving their arms around or giving a hand signal or it could be that there's too much of that or that they're in a place where there is just too much moving around going on and the poor dog hasn't got a clue which bit to look at. And that's very common. Yes, yes, definitely distraction can be an issue. <laughs> now, um, now you spoke about uh, how important a dog's scent is, uh, I mean, how their sense of smell is, um, and how, how important the, the uh, scent of surroundings um, is to a dog. Let's talk uh, just briefly about their hearing. Mm -hmm. How is... Uh, how intense is a dog's hearing? 
Well, they can actually hear to um, a much higher pitch than we can. So they, particularly certain breeds of dogs, because remember, they're very different in shape and size. Um, you know, so certain breeds will hear extremely high-pitched noises. So you might wonder why your terrier is constantly kind of barking or scrabbling at the wall, or they might be suddenly activated by something. And it's probable that they can hear something that's out of our range. Um, the other way of looking at it is that they can also hear slightly lower than we can. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, most animals can, and cats can too, but we kind of sit in our own comfortable human world. And so there are certain sounds that might sound very, very loud to a dog, or very piercing to a dog, and we don't realize that. So if we're surprised that the dog is, you know, worried about the lawnmower, for example, then it's actually that that rotating shaft gives off a very high-pitched shrieking noise that we can hear it, but it probably is much more sensitively heard by the dog. Very good. Well, we do have to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we are going to continue to talk to Karen Wild. She is a clinical animal behaviorist and uh, author of the book, Being a Dog, The World from Your Dog's Point of View, as we come back with more on the CFAX Pet Line right after this. You can't see it, but things inside your vehicle can wear, like the tidy whiteies I've worn all week. Luckily, Ford-trained technicians keep your Ford running smoothly, smoother than under my toupee. They spot what others might miss. For only $69.99, you get the works. An oil change, tire rotation, up to 83-point inspection, and vehicle report card explained one-on-one. It's more thorough than my last bikini wax. Because you can get too much information, but not when it comes to your Ford. Beware of parts unknown. See store or fordservice.ca for even more info. Hi, I'm Sandra, telesales specialist. What's new, Sandra? Just figuring out what offer sounds better. Optic 4K and internet for $50, or internet and optic 4K for $50. Well, obviously, that depends if you're a downloader who also loves 4K live sports, or you're a channel surfer with a soft spot for viral videos. (laughs) Either way, you can now get both Optic TV 4K and internet 50 for just $50 a month for six months. Learn more at telus.com or visit a telus store. Conditions apply. Excuse me, where can I find vacuums? Uh, I think they're near patio and garden. Can you help me pick out a Dyson? Uh, well, I don't really know much about vacuums. Sound familiar? Hi, it's Wendy from All Victoria Vacuums. Think outside the big box and come straight to the experts. Nowhere else will you see the full line of Dyson vacuums and the new Dyson fans and purifiers you can control with your iPhone. All Victoria Vacuums, your source for the best Dyson products. At Hillside and Cedar Hill for 39 years. We are back on the CFAX Pet Line. My guest today is animal behaviorist Karen Wild. She is the author of Being a Dog, The World from Your Dog's Point of View. And this is a fantastic book. I really recommend uh, to anyone. It's something that even the most experienced dog owner is going to uh, really enjoy this book. Now, um, let's talk about how these days we are treating dogs in our family. A lot of uh, dogs are being treated almost like human children. I know you even have uh, photos in your book of dogs being dressed up in, in, in uh, you know, costumes and so on. Tell us about what, <laughs> what this is doing uh, to our dogs these days. Well, it's, it's, it's called anthropomorphism, and uh, that's a hell of a mouthful. But I think the important thing to remember is that when you um, have a dog in your family, they do take on attributes of any family member. And no, they're not children. But I do think that you can have well-behaved children and you can have well-behaved dogs. And it doesn't mean you spoil them if you do nice things for them. But a lot of that depends on the dog's opinion. So if the dog likes to, uh, you know, if they, for example, they like to be warm when they're out, particularly in the winter time, or if you've got a young puppy, then a coat or an extra layer for them can be quite comfortable. But uh, we often, you know, add the extra decoration for our own amusement. And I don't necessarily think that's a problem as long as the dog's okay with it. But I think that sometimes we imagine that they want or do things that humans do that they definitely do not. So we even know that a number of people will buy their dog's birthday presents. You know, they, they, I mean, I've also got my dog a Christmas present from time to time. You know, of course. <laughs> You know, so we don't have to be these strict, you know, horrible dictators. We can have fun with them. But as long as we don't take it too far and think that they know things that maybe a human might understand when really they are quite straightforward creatures in lots of ways. They're very good at empathy with us, but they don't necessarily understand the whole thing that a human might understand from, you know, an occasion, for example. And... um 
you uh, you really are um, talk a lot about how um, how the dog sees our family and um, that that the dogs do see their owners as their family and part of their pack. Um, uh, tell us about this uh, as well and how this affects their behavior. Well, it's kind of important that we understand how dogs see this structure because I think there's a lot of misinformation even now, and particularly on television, where there's some kind of supposed hierarchy with a dog and it harkens back to uh, their ancestry uh, from wolves and that kind of thing. What we now know from the science, which I've explained in the book, is that there isn't a hierarchy of a pack leader or someone at the top that has to dictate everything. It's more like a family where everyone has a different relationship with everyone else. So it may be that they value uh, one member of the family more because that's the person that always feeds them, but it might be that they value a different member if that's the person that always plays with them. And so it's never this strict structure. We do have to understand that dogs don't know our human rules. So they need training and they need help to understand that within the family. So, yeah, don't steal, you know, food that's on the table and, you know, try not to rush out of the front door and straight into the road. But those are rules that are human rules. Their dog would normally just potter about, eat what they see. So by understanding how they see it, you think, well... Maybe we're being a bit unfair by expecting to understand all our human rules, and we can maybe train them you know, in a kind way to understand that yeah, there are certain things that they are allowed to do and certain things that probably aren't a good idea. <laughs> now, when we think about the family unit, though, we, we always, t- I think in almost every family, they could say probably the family member that has the toughest time with the dog is the youngest child in the family. Would you agree? I think that's quite common, yes. <laughs> now, is... I mean, and so a lot of people were thinking, oh, you know, our family is a pack, and, and of course the, the, the youngest one in the family, you know, they're, they're going to, uh, the dog is going to see them as sort of being the, the weakest and that they're going to want to be in charge. But it, as you're saying now, it might just be a different relationship that they have. Um, of course, yeah. And, you know, I mean, they tend to see younger, you know, smaller, younger children make squeaky noises. And when they speak, you know, they've got high-pitched voices and they're very active, aren't they, young children? And they run around and just like another puppy might do, the dog will want to play with that kind of thing. And, and children find it hard to regulate their behavior and so do dogs. And so it becomes a little bit of a, you know, it gets a bit out of hand. And they both need to learn the rules. We have to coach our dogs and our children, and that's not just by sitting there and observing. We've got to be in there teaching children how to behave around animals, teaching animals how to behave around children, and it doesn't mean that one's in charge of the other. It just means that dogs are naturally motivated by those kinds of things, and of course they're going to want to interact. But also, on the downside, children can sometimes frighten animals without realizing it, can't they? And I think we have to step in as adults and say, you know, sometimes the dog needs peace and quiet, you need to leave it alone, and we, you know, intervene when we need to. So we're teaching all good lessons to what effectively are animals that don't understand one another, both human and dog. Now, when when we talk about, though, adults stepping in, uh, definitely adults need to step in to, uh, you know, to... to um help the child um, and control the child's behavior. Uh, but how does it work when the dog is doing something really inappropriate um, with the child and the child is too young to really correct the behavior very effectively themselves? Is it okay for the adult to step in to correct the dog for a behavior? Um, or does it sort of have to come from the person that they are doing it to? No, not at all. I mean, some children physically aren't big enough or or capable enough. And, you know, we're talking here about a feedback loop, aren't we? If the dog's doing something that they enjoy, then they will repeat it. If they do something that doesn't have any effect, then they won't do it again. So the way to work and the way that all trainers should be working nowadays, and most do, to be honest, is by giving the dog a job to do and understanding, for example, if things get a little bit lively, that the owner has already pre-taught the dog, the adult in the family, um, or the slightly physically larger person in the family has taught the dog that when they call them, they come away, they come back, and they get rewarded for doing that. So they're not rewarded by the play with the child. They're rewarded by the returning to the adult or the other person and doing something else instead. And it's much, much easier for the dog to understand that than someone just standing there telling them what not to do. Yes. I think teaching them like that is almost... Imagine learning to drive like that. You know, someone <laughs> in the car and says, well, don't crash, will you? And you crash into a, you know, into a curb or something. And, and they say, well, don't do that again. 
but what they haven't done is instructed you on what to do. So, you know, everybody makes mistakes and dogs are no different. And I would always step in by giving the dog something much better to do. Come over here, come and, you know, sit with me and let's play more gently. And then we'd work on that. And I do involve children in training because no matter how young they are, as long as the parents want them to, then they can work very well with dogs. And some of our junior handlers in my classes are the best ones we have. Yes, yes. And it, it is, it it, uh, it can be such a great uh, relationship, but it can be such a challenging one. And it's all just a matter of, uh, of how, how everybody handles the situation. Now, do you, uh, sure. since we're on the topic of children, do you generally have a recommendation as to if you were choosing, uh, you know, you're thinking about introducing a new dog or puppy to your uh, family, how old would you like the youngest uh, child in the household to be? Well, that's a great question, um, and I think it's one that there is no straightforward answer. Sometimes dogs have to get used to children from a very early age, um, and by that I mean that you know the, the the younger the dog, the easier they can adjust to the various things that children do. But I also think we have to take size into account. So um, I myself have little dogs now, but I used to have bigger dogs. And when my children were toddlers, they do tread on things and they do fall over. And there is a physical risk that the dog, you know, could get trampled. And so I would be careful about mixing those age groups together, I think, with a kind of a petite dog and a young child. I think it's sometimes a little bit risky. But as long as you are prepared as an owner to spend the time educating the dog, taking him to classes, um, you know, not using the punishment methods that we see because what that does is frightens the dog in situations where you want them to adjust so that the dog can get used to the sort of slight strange things that children do. And I know this from my job, and I put it in the book as well, that if you have that perspective that the dog is going to be learning from the minute they walk into your house, that whether you've got children of any age, they will adjust to that. And as long as you can, you know, manage it very carefully, then it should go smoothly no matter what age the children. Very good. Well, we are going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to continue to talk to Karen Wild. She is a clinical animal behaviorist and author of Being a Dog, The World from Your Dog's Point of View, as we come back with more on the CFAX Pet Line right after this. Mornings with Al Faraby. Monique Gofanay-Miller is the president of the Monarchist League of Canada, Victoria Branch. We talked about the royal visit this weekend on Friday's show. People can expect to engage with the royals in a way that they have never experienced before. Watch social media, listen to CFAX. There will be amounts of coverage that you have never experienced. On the next show, more reaction to the royal visit. And we're giving away a getaway for two to Vancouver to see the BC Lions. Weekdays 5 to 9 on CFAX 1070. Embarrassed by your bathtub? Looking to update your old, out-of-date tub? Only Bathfitter can custom make you a new acrylic bathtub that will fit perfectly over your existing tub. That means you don't have to rip out your old one. With over 30 years experience, their team of experts can get you the bathtub you've always wanted, backed by a lifetime warranty. They can also convert you to a shower stall. Discover why it's better with Bathfitter. For a free in-home consultation, call Bathfitter now at 250-418-TUBS. Centra makes windows, and did you know that you can upgrade and install them easily at any time of year? Our experienced installers are experts in getting the job done, no matter what the weather. At Centra Victoria, the more you buy, the more you save. So book now and pay as little as $25 a week on approved credit. Centra, quality windows, expert customer care. Bobby Schuler from Hour of Power is bringing his message of God's love and dignity to Canada this fall. The Life Tour kicks off on September 28th with stops in Hamilton, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Abbotsford, and Victoria. Abbotsford location currently sold out. We hope you'll join Bobby for a night to remember, featuring an inspiring message, music from award-winning Canadian musicians, and a heartwarming personal interview. Space is limited. Get your tickets today at thelifetour.ca. We are back on the CFAX Pet Line. My guest today is Karen Wild. She is an animal behaviorist and author of Being a Dog, The World from Your Dog's Point of View. Today we're talking all about how our dogs see the world, how our dogs see us and our family, and how interesting it must be uh, for our dogs, Karen, because uh, I'm sure we're pretty odd creatures to them. 
Uh, that's so true. I wonder. I mean, we have evolved with them over the years, so I think they're kind of used to us by now. But even so, they've still got to start from scratch every time they come to our home. <laughs> now, and it is something that uh, that dog training and dog behavior has come so far, as we just talked about in the last segment. You know, it used to be all very, uh, you know, very punishment-oriented, you know, very, very strict. And now there's so much emphasis on positive reinforcement and really understanding the dog and why they do more and how to, uh, that we can sort of come together and uh, and learn uh, in a a more effective way for both of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're such incredible creatures. I think they deserve it. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, now this I, I, uh, I find interesting. Um, uh, the dogs are the only non-primate animal to look people in the eyes. In fact, they seek eye contact. Now, this goes against mm-hmm. a lot of the old myths of dog training. You know, they say, oh, you know, you, you, you don't want your dog to, uh, to look at you. You know, that eye contact, they're challenging you. Tell us about this myth. That's, um, it's one of those things that was always said that, you know, the dog was staring you down or something like that. And I won't disagree with that. In some ways, there are dogs that if they are trying to threaten, they will deliberately stare. But they generally don't stare straight at you. They will stare past you and they get very stiff. And it's usually because they're frightened. It's not a confident um, thing at all. So once we understand that, we can see that when they do seek our eye contact, they are reading our expressions. And there's been research on this where they've found that dogs can even, they read, it, they read our faces in a similar way to how humans read faces, and they can even do this upside down. So imagine you're giving your dog a belly rub, and he's laying on the floor, and he's looking up at you. He's still reading your expressions um, in the same way that we might read another human. And making eye contact is just getting that information. And if the dog is feeling worried, they will look away. It's not this kind of oh that they respect you it's literally that they don't want to look at you because they're worried about it and I don't think that's a very nice thing so when we're teaching people about eye contact and about what their dog is is thinking if you like um, we always say if they're looking at you and you're trying to train them they probably don't really understand or they're waiting for their next instruction if they're looking away they're either worried about it and in which case you need to lighten up or just lost interest in you, you know, get them interested again. So attention is really important when you're trying to work with any animal. And so there's no threat with eye contact unless, like I say, they're all stiff and, you know, and you've done something that's upset them. Okay. Well, very good advice. Um, as I said, it's such a fantastic book. It's really one that I encourage uh, even the most experienced dog owner to pick up. It's called Being a Dog, The World from Your Dog's Point of View. Um, do you have a website or anything that people can get more information um, on on you yeah. in this book? I do. Um, it's actually my name, so it's www.karenwild.co.uk. Great. That's .co.uk. So it's karenwild.co.uk. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. It was just great to talk to you. You're welcome. And have a great week, everyone. Campus Acura invites you to their Power of Precision event. Lease a new 2017 RDX for 0.9% over 36 months or get $2,500 in customer cash rebates. Maybe the new 2017 MDX, Restyle and Redefined, is more your cup of tea. Lease one for 2.9% over 48 months or get $1,000 in customer cash rebates. Knowledge is power, the power of precision. Test drive an RDX or MDX today at Campus Acura, 3347 Oak Street and CampusAcura.com. The new series TV Guide calls compelling. Sir, you are now the president. CTV Wednesday. Eagle is gone. TV Insider finds it suspenseful and a surefire hit. We are going to do this my way. And TV.com says it's intriguing. I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States. Keeper Sutherland in TV's most talked about new series. So help me.